At the Rabbit Room, we're always saying that art nourishes community and community nourishes art. Here's another way to say the same thing. We can all be allies in bringing good, beautiful, true things into the world. One way you can be an ally with the musicians and writers and artists whose work you care about is to leave a review. It helps other people find and benefit from the work that has meant something to you. And if you want to leave a review for this podcast, well, that'll be okay too. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Christy Purifoy is the author of Placemaker, Cultivating Places of Comfort, Beauty, and Peace. It's a beautiful book that invites us to notice our soul's desire for beauty, our need to create and to be created again and again. Placemaker isn't just a book about hospitality, it's a hospitable book. As one reviewer said, through her lyrical, thoughtful prose and her keen observation, Christy Purifoy invites her readers to see, truly see, the beauty that exists around us across the many different landscapes of life. Christy Purifoy, I'm so glad that you are here on the Habit Podcast today. Thank you for making time for me and for my listeners. Oh, absolutely. It's so good to be with you all. So your most recent book is called Placemaker. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about what you mean by that term, placemaker? (laughs) Sure. You know, I thought it meant one thing when I started writing. I thought it meant uh, that we make places, that we create them, that we make them better, we make them more beautiful, whether that's a garden or a home or a, uh, a community center. But I realized as I was writing that we also are charged with tending places, keeping places, protecting places. So I feel like this this idea of placemaking gets at uh, you know God's own heart. We're made in His image, and He has made places for us, special places like the Garden of Eden, or you know gave us directions on the temple. He uh, prepared places like the Promised Land, and so that's really the the model I'm looking toward when I when I think of placemakers. So one thing I want to talk about and think about is the relationship between placemaking on the one hand and writing on the other. You're obviously interested in both hospitality and writing, and I'm I'm sure you've done some thinking about those two things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think writers are... Um possibly our greatest placemakers, aren't there? I write a little bit in this book about uh, Narnia, of course. I mean, one of my favorite places to visit as a child. <laughs> and uh, I revisited it in a few spots in this book because it, uh, it shaped, you know, C.S. Lewis created this place. He made this place. He made it real for us in his words. Um, it's so real. Even as an adult, I want to go back and visit it. But it also has changed how I see the places where I live. You know, I look at a certain kind of forest or a wood, and I think of Narnia, right? <laughs> so, it's, a, it's just an incredible thing to do. So, you know, I, I think of my tools, my placemaking tools, um, as language, absolutely. Um, and then also the things I do in the garden. Uh, we live in an old farmhouse that we are constantly trying to restore and, and renovate. And so, that's, that's placemaking as well. So, you know, um, I felt so grateful when I came, you know, sort of stumbled on this idea of placemaking this word, because I felt like for the first time I had a, a word that sort of captured everything I do and everything I love most. And that was the writing, but also the the hospitality and welcome, welcoming people into this place. So, I just feel so grateful that in writing this book, I've been able to 
Um, and since, in, since as exercise that hospitality on a bigger scale, right? Like I can only have so many people over to my house. Um, but in this book, I can write about my love for the place where I live, which isn't just a house, but is a particular corner of, of um, Pennsylvania. Um, I can write about that place and I can invite every reader into it through my words. And it's like, it's like my hospitality has, or my opportunity for hospitality when I see it this way has just grown exponentially, which is so exciting to me. That's great. Well, okay, there is a kind of hospitality, or at least a use of the term hospitality, that's really more about display, about ostentation. Uh, it's kind of a, a look at me, look what I've collected, look what, look what I've put together, look what I've gathered. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there, there are whole magazines devoted to that kind of hospitality that that has more to do with look at me than than has to do with with welcoming others and uh, and of course at the same time there's a there's a kind of writing that does that yeah. sort of thing right oh yeah that's such a good point yes yes you know when i think of the word hospitality i think of like the old monastic forms of christian hospitality right i mean there was nothing there's not you know when you think about a monastery there's nothing like look at me about a monastery <laughs> it's just a function thriving, or it's meant to be, you know, a, a thriving, flourishing community. And the hospitality that's offered there is an invitation into the life of that community to say, hey, our work will continue. We are not stopping and putting on a song and dance for you, but you are welcome here and you can participate in our meals and in our worship and in our work and in our lives. And I feel like that, when I think of that kind of hospitality, um, it's not only what I, want, what I want to practice in my home, but it, it's a good model, I think, um, perhaps for our writing as well. So I, I love the phrase you use, and I hope I have gotten this right, that hospitality is an invitation to join in community. Yeah. And, you know, when I write, I write, um, I always try to keep my own questions foremost. So I don't start with answers, right? I start with my own questions. And I start with the questions that are the most burning for me. And also, um, so that's a scary thing to do as a writer, right? Because I don't know that I will arrive at satisfactory answers. So it's a little frightening, but in invite, but in, you know, that's what I mean as a writer to invite, now I'm inviting my reader into, you know, my own work is, is to put my questions out there and to say, these are my questions. Will you join me as I, as I journey toward, you know, what I hope will be, um, some satisfying answers. So, you know, I, I'm familiar with the idea of starting with questions instead of starting with answers. And I think that's such an important mm -hmm. idea, an important principle or concept for a writer. Mm -hmm. I'd never thought of that as a principle of hospitality until right this minute. You know, I hadn't either till just now. Yeah, I <laughs> but I think I think it works. You know, I so I started this this book, Placemaker, with um, a question about <sighs> I, I, I had thought for many years that because I'm made in the image of God and I love places, well, I'm a placemaker. I can do it well. And if I if I bring that placemaker's mentality to every place I live, well, then of course I will leave that place better. Of course I will leave it more beautiful. But I've been so humbled over the years as, you know, certain places have just bettered me or been too much for me or as I've grown as a gardener and I've realized like, oh my goodness, I make so many mistakes. I think I'm doing the right thing. I think I'm caring for this tree or this rose bush and I, and I mess it up. And I, I started to ask 
goodness, would the world be better off without me? Am I, you know, would it be better off without my interference? You know, creation uh, tends to work so well, and then we get involved. And I started to, to realize, like, goodness, I make more mistakes than than um, than otherwise. And uh, and so that was the question I started placemaker with. And but I felt like maybe the hosp- the hospitable element of that is that. I begin in humility. And so those who come to a book like this who think like, well, I'm not a placemaker. I'm not a gardener. I don't live in an old farmhouse. Um, But they too have maybe questions. They have um, self-doubt. And so in sharing my own, I feel like that's one way of of, um, of helping my reader kind of put down their own defenses and enter into the questions with me. Yes, entering in with me. That's such a great way to talk about the overlap between hospitality and Mm -hmm. writing. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, you've already talked about the idea of creation or the idea of cooperating with creation and in, mm-hmm. in gardening and in uh, uh, what, whatever you call taking care of trees, ar- arbor, arbitrage or whatever. Yeah, uh, goodness. Yeah, I wonder. We need a good word for that, don't we? Because <laughs> it's not quite forestry. It's yeah. If the one who is an arborist, what is it they do? <laughs> yeah. Well. Anyway, uh, you mentioned that your father uh, taught you mm-hmm. about participating in creation. I think you said that whenever he came to visit you in Pennsylvania, he would always plant a tree. Hmm. Hmm. I think it's about being aware of the abundance of life that is already there. Right. So as a gardener, you know, I feel like one reason I garden is because I'm just so aware of the beauty and fertility of, you know, the trees and the shrubs and the, you know, I'm aware that it's out there. I'm aware of, you know, the bees buzzing around doing their thing. And I want, it's a kind of greedy <laughs> love. You know, I, I want more of it. I want to be in the middle of it. I want to um, see more of the colors I love or more of the shapes I love. And and it's almost like I want to, um, you know, as a kid, you dig your hands into the Play-Doh. I feel like that's what I want to do. Um, and it's... Um, you know, it, it is a way of loving the the gifts that have been given to us. This, you know, the gift of of creation and the gift of you know the earth and its seasons and its fertility. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that that probably is is true for all the creating we do. Is that you know, if we love words, we love. You know, here's another example. I actually grew up convinced, n- never once thought that I was a writer, never thought that I could be a writer, never dreamed of being a writer. But I was a reader. I loved books. I loved words. I loved language. Um, if anything, my love was so great that it blinded me to my own um, maybe ability to do that because I, you know, I, I admired these writers. I admired these books and sort of assumed oh, I could never do that. But the love caught up with me, right? Because I loved these books so much that finally, you know, I couldn't say no to, to trying my hand at creating my own. Um, so it's that it's that desire to almost immerse ourselves in the thing that has brought us joy and uh, brought us happiness. Uh, is you know whether it's gardens or books, I think uh, it's the same kind of feeling. Oh, I love what you said about greed and greediness. It, it makes me think about something in, in a in an Over the Rhine song, and I hope I'm getting this right. Uh, when it comes to wanting what's real, there's no such thing as greed. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Good, <laughs> yeah, good. That it, makes me feel better. <laughs> actually, I'm not entirely sure it's true. When there is such thing as, as disordered loves. You know, and Augustine would say it's a matter of wanting the right things in the right order, yes. right? It's a matter of ordered loves. Ordered loves, yes, yes. So, you know, as much as I love that line in that song, I can't decide if it's entirely true or not. Yeah, yeah. But in any case, I, th- I think this idea of writing like gardening as a way of participating more fully in abundance, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a lot of wisdom mm-hmm. in that. It's, 
you know, it's a way not only of participating, but of responding. So in that sense, we could think about um, gratitude and worship even. You know, it's a, I, I, I think a lot about the scriptures that talk about, you know, the stars singing, the skies proclaiming, the trees clapping. And I think not only do I want to be awake enough to hear those things, I want to join the song, you know, I want to, to be a part of that. And so, um, it's also, uh, about, uh, our response and often, or that one way to respond is in worship is joining the, the chorus of praise. Yeah. And I, I think it's a kind of gratitude too, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes us more aware of the goodness of the world in which we find ourselves. Oh, yes. Yes. Awake to the good. I like that. It's, it's like C.S. Lewis says, and I guess it's mere Christianity, when he when God commands us to praise him, it's it's not that he's a, a, this vain being that needs our praise. It's that we complete our pleasure uh, when we praise him. Yeah, oh, com- yeah, that's another way to think of it. It's like, uh, you know, the pleasure I take in the created world, the pleasure I take in language and books and reading. Um, one way that I have completed that in my own life is by becoming a gardener, learning how to grow things myself, learning how to tend uh, natural things, and also by by writing. And it doesn't have to be books, right? You know, it could be your, your journal writing. It, you know, it could look like all kinds of things, but it, it has certainly completed the pleasure I have taken in those things all my life. You know, one of the things I love about your book is this this constant reminder that there are so many ways to be uh, creative, to participate in creation in ways mm-hmm. that aren't what we normally think of as the arts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's been important to me, especially because um, I've always had this pull towards the arts. It's something in me as a kid. I wanted to be an artist, but as I grew up, I, I started to realize, like, gosh, I don't really have you know, certain skills that I thought of as necessary to being an artist. You know, I took art classes, but I was not the best student. Um, you know, I didn't have those technical skills, hand-eye coordination, you know, not always there, but but still this desire to create beauty and this, um, you know, the, a, a response within myself to beauty. And so it's been really important for me personally to learn how to exercise that part of myself in ways that go beyond, you know, what is typically offered. Um, and to realize that not only does it make art and creativity, a, a, you know, an exercise that more of us can participate in, but it also can then infuse more of our life. So, you know, if I'd become a painter, maybe I would have made paintings and just thought of my art as, well, it's just when I'm painting. But because I couldn't paint, (laughs) I had to figure out how to make a meal at the table, you know, part of my creativity or, you know, an arrangement of flowers or, you know, how, uh, you know, just all the sort of ordinary aspects of daily living became then ways for me to exercise that creativity because those were the tools I had and those were the things I, you know, do day to day. And and I think, um, I hope that's encouraging to people to realize like not only can anyone do it, but it can also be a part of your life from morning to evening. You know, it's not just a special occasion thing. Yeah, yeah. There are so many ways to tell a truer story. Mm-hmm. So many ways. Okay, so this is kind of a half-baked thought. Actually, it's not even a half-baked thought. It's more like a between an eighth and a quarter-baked thought. I'll take it. <laughs> so, in the the energy of the of the created world, you know, so much of that energy gets expressed in weeds and scrub trees and the kind yes. of things that we dig up from our garden that mm-hmm. not that we mm-hmm. encourage. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm trying to work my way toward how does how do these ideas relate to writing and to creativity? You know, 
a gardener does two things, <laughs> or I feel like has two options. She can look at that weed and sometimes see its beauty and decide, you know, I'm not, I'm going to rename it. And so now I tell a different story, right? I tell a different story about this weed. Um, but that, I will be the first to say, is not always possible nor desirable. <laughs> there are plants out there that, uh, you know, maybe they, ca they cause a rash or maybe they are invasives that are taking over that will throttle everything else. But there are certainly plants that I think deserve the name of weeds. And so then placemaking does become a little bit more ruthless and writing can become a little bit more ruthless when we say, you know, this doesn't belong. I think especially for myself, because I write memoir, because I write nonfiction, because I write personal essays, and from in the raw material of you know my writing is personal experience. Um, I can look at aspects of my life that are good. They're uh, created. They're important. They matter for my life. They're a part of my story. Um, but I've had to teach myself how to discern. Oh no! When it comes to this book that is a weed and I pull it out. It may be one of the most precious memories I have and be related to the story I'm telling. But if it doesn't serve my reader and if it doesn't serve the story I'm telling, then uh, it doesn't actually matter if, you know, biologically it's a great thing. You know, why call it a weed? No, in, in terms of the book, it's a weed. Um, and I, I've learned to be, I think, I hope, um, you know, my first attempts at memoir were much more just, let me write it all down. Here it is. Um, uh, but it can be hard. It can be hard to be telling a story when you know, like, oh, there's all these other beautiful memories and stories connected to it. But I think those are for me or those are for my family or those are for my close friends. Those are not for this book and not for this reader. Um, and just discerning that. Uh, do you mean in terms of this is too private for a book? No, I don't mean that at all, actually, because... Um, so uh, I, I actually, believe it or not, I'm quite a private person and sharing anything personally is difficult, but I do feel like I have been called in, in, in these books I write to do that often, to be uh, very open beyond even you know, what I'm naturally comfortable in. I feel like that is part of my obedience uh, to, to the work God has called me to do. So it's not that. It's, it's that discernment of knowing this this aspect of my life, this story, I could write it up beautifully, but it does not serve, it isn't for this story. Maybe it'll be told in some other book or some other format, but it is not for this story. It is not for this book. So it's about the shaping of the particular book. And it's about always keeping that reader in mind rather than my own desires as a writer. Because I have experiences that I think, oh, I would love to write about that. Um, but maybe that would just be for myself because it isn't a story that you know, others need <laughs> or need in this particular context. Um, so trying to keep that reader in mind. Okay, right. Okay, so you're talking about the borders of the garden. I am. Right? I mean, the, the, the border is one of the most important yes, parts of the garden. absolutely. I love grass, but grass doesn't belong inside this border. Exactly, exactly, yeah. You know, yeah. In, in Andrew Peterson's book, Adorning the Dark, he talks about his English garden and, and the wall around it and, and mm -hmm. how— I think he says that's the most important part of the garden. Maybe he doesn't say the most important part of the garden. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, the, it's the borders in which I say, I'm going to tend this. You know, there's, there's all these acres out here, and I can't tend all those acres, but I can tend this, exactly. what's inside these borders. 
Exactly. Yep. And there are weeds I let in my garden and there, you know, for, for me, it would be uh, the native violets, which grow everywhere in my lawn. And I love them. They're a native plant. They flower beautifully. The bugs love them. I let them come on into my flower beds, but everything else I pull it out because it does not serve the garden. I love what you said about a, um, a weed is a weed because of the story we tell. Yeah. Now it, it may be a true story, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Poison ivy is just a weed. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a story that I could tell that would make me want poison ivy. In I was my thinking of poison ivy, yes. <laughs> uh -huh, yeah. Now, as I've lived these last few minutes with this idea about the stories we tell about weeds, it occurs to me that, that every story we tell is a story in which we. Uh, well, we're telling a story about what's a weed exactly. and what's not. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but so, you know, so much we, we do have power as writers to write about hard things, ugly things, even hurtful things. And um, as we transform those things into art, um, it's, I don't know, I just think it's an incredibly powerful thing. We can't do it with everything. We shouldn't do it with everything. Um, but when we bring our own or, you know, imagined hurts and hard things and weeds into the art, they are changed. They are changed. And maybe in some small way, you know, we talk about um, our God who can, um, uh, you know, do good with anything, really, right? He can, he can um, you know, uh, He can create good out of just anything, you, you know, no matter how wrong it is gone. And I think in a small way, maybe just a tiny, tiny way as writers, um, we're privileged to do something similar. Yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on to my next half-baked idea. Your house in uh, Pennsylvania is mm -hmm. called uh, Maplehurst, uh, built by a Quaker in the 19th century? Yeah, 1880 or so. Uh, yeah, Mark Hughes, a Quaker farmer here in Pennsylvania, built it. And so you remarked that when Mark Hughes went to build Maplehurst, I mean, of course he didn't make the sun to rise in the east <laughs> and then set in the west, but he did decide to situate his house in such a way that it would make the most of that of that movement of the sun. And mm -hmm. he didn't pile up the hill, the hearst uh, mm -hmm. that it was named for. But he didn't recognize that this would be a good place to build a house. And your point there was that Mark Hughes was cooperating with creation. Mm -hmm. And I feel mm -hmm. like this is this has to be relevant to writing. Yes. I can't quite put my finger on it. I haven't, haven't thought about it enough, but I, but I bet mm -hmm. you have. Yeah, you know, I think of it, so with the house, what was he doing? He was creating a vessel that would capture the light in a way that would magnify the light, but um, make the light accessible in new ways. Uh, you know, the moon rises here, and I can see the moon when I'm outside. But when I'm in my house and the moon rises, then I see the moon at the top of a staircase framed in a window. And it's really powerful. And that's what the builder of this home did. Um, and he didn't, yeah, he didn't create the moon, didn't think of the moon. But what he's done by, by framing the moon in that way is really precious to me and really powerful and beautiful. And so I think as artists, as writers, that's what we're doing. You know, we're dealing with um, things that have been given to us, that have been created. You know, these raw materials, they might be actually the natural world, or they might be the, the circumstances of our lives or the, the fruit of our imagination, you know, whatever it is, this, this raw material. And it's all animated, um, if it's good, if it's true, it's animated by the light of the world. And I think we are ideally crafting these vessels that um, don't make the light anything really 
different than it is, <laughs> but we're able to frame it in such a way that now maybe someone can see it for the first time or notice its importance for the first time or realize its relevance to themselves or, or just see it and be grateful for it. So I think the, um, the light is the, is the, the right image that helps me sort of figure out what that might look like, um, in our art as well. Um, yeah. You're talking about light that way. It makes me think about a rainbow. Yes. Right? I mean, a rainbow, it's only, it's just showing us what's there all along. All those yeah. colors are always there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just wild. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't change anything and, but it reveals, you know, um, and, and, and I think, you know, ideally that's what we're doing. We're, we're revealing. I mean, when I think about, so I wrote a lot in this book about trees and nature and, uh, I mean, I didn't make any of it up. I didn't, I just sort of, you know, I read books and I went outside and there it was. And yet what I hoped I was doing is showing people things that, you know, they could see on their own. They could walk outside and see, but I'm shaping it. I'm gathering it. I'm framing it, um, so that they can see, so that they can really see. All right. That's great. Okay. Last question. Okay. <laughs> Which writers make you want to write? Oh, yes, yes. Great question. You know, the writers who make me want to write aren't necessarily the writers I love the most or the writers I love to read. They're usually the ones who draw my attention to language or, like, make me recognize the power of really close observation. So, like, um, a poet like Christian Wyman or an SAS like uh, Leslie Jameson or Rebecca Solnit. Sometimes they make me uncomfortable, but they make me uncomfortable in ways that spur me to write. Um, but there is one writer, actually, who always makes me want to write, but I also just love, love his work, and that's Brian Doyle, the late, great Brian Doyle, who, um, yeah, is just incredible. So he not only is a favorite I love to read, but also <laughs> makes me want to get out there and write. Yeah. Well, Christy, thank you so much for taking half an hour to talk to me today. Thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio and the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to the Arcadian Wild for allowing us to use their delightful song, Finch in the Pantry, as part of this podcast. Check out their album of the same name for more excellent music. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com and to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.